Welcome to our seventh episode of the IE Ion Industry Podcast. Today, we continue our special two-part series with Alex Partners that examines the digitization of operations at middle market industrial companies. During part one, we explored the impact of COVID on the core functions of the advisory business, as well as its impact on the operations of manufacturing companies and their PE investors. Today, we discuss the human element, how managers can better engage their employees during this time of increased isolation. We're excited to have Mark Yampieri and Parmesh Bhaskaran from Alex Partners join us again to continue the conversation. Hi, Mark and Parmesh. Thanks for joining us here again on the podcast. Hey, good morning, Jonathan. So in our first podcast, we spoke about the remotification of work, how Alex Partners is seeing that unfold in its client engagements. And I wanted to talk today about a corollary of remotification that is becoming increasingly important, namely employee engagement and well-being. And I think one need not be a mental health professional to tell that as we enter the eighth month of the pandemic, it's had a profound emotional impact on all of us. Many people are feeling stressed, anxious, depressed, and really everything in between. And so I guess I'd like to ask, uh, I'd like to begin by asking you guys, how are you seeing your clients manage employee morale these days? That's a great question. So um, I'll, I'll start and Parmesh, you can chime in. I think the key to this is that I think even more so today than before, all situations are a little unique. And you know, each employee's personal experience uh, potentially is very different than the next in a very similar role in the same office, um, you know, th- th- that type of thing. And so, you know, w- we had a conversation with our chief people officer uh, earlier this week uh, and asked him, you know, what are you hearing from, you know, other HR leaders in the industry and from our clients that you've interacted with and, and actually for, you know, the firm as well. And, you know, the feedback has been, uh, number one, um, the communication level has to ramp up, um, I think kind of significantly, but it can be easy. It can be, you know, outreach polls. It can be um, recommendation for, you know, leaders within, you know, pods within a company to, intentionally and proactively have conversations about this topic with their team and share some examples of what um, some people may be feeling and, and how to, you know, potentially combat that. I, I, I think, you know, I've been a long, little bit long winded here, but the, the simple answer is you have to be more proactive than before uh, because I think a lot of people don't want to talk about it, don't want to bring it up, but if you engage with them, you can find out what's, you know, what's causing concern. And there's things that you can do to combat that. Yeah, I think, um, good morning, Jonathan, to add to what Mark said, um, stay connected is absolutely right. Stay in touch often, very important. Uh, examples, specific examples. At one of our clients recently, uh, we had a wine tasting with them where the whole group, um, was sent wines of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon that we would taste from different regions of uh, Napa Valley and just have a discussion, right? It is kind of keeping the team engaged, keeping the team motivated, uh, sharing ideas. Um, We as a firm had uh, 
a chef talk about how do we cut, um, how do we use a kitchen knife? So there's a number of activities that I've seen clients do, we as a firm are doing in small pods, like Mark mentioned, it is that kind of what helps, if I may say, to stay in touch, stay connected. And it is very, very critical um, you know, for, for all our well-being to continue to stay in touch and check, uh, touch on each or check on each other and make sure we are doing okay. Yeah, I think prior to COVID, there was also this growing sense that workers, I think particularly knowledge workers, we're increasingly finding it difficult to unplug from work. Uh, and so we're all sort of glued to our smartphones. And while Elon Musk and Neuralink uh, may still be a few years away from a brain implant, we're, we're more or less permanently tethered now to our smartphones. This is probably being made increasingly difficult because in some cases, the commute to work now is only about five to 10 feet away from the bedroom. And so, you know, when you're, when you're, customers are not doing wine tastings or you know all, all the fun stuff that keeps employees engaged, how are they actually helping their employees unplug as much as humanly possible? Yeah, and that, that is a real challenge. Um, I, I, I think one of the things that, that we've seen internally, but also with our clients, is I think a greater acceptance for different types of flexibility. And what flexibility means to me could be very different than what it means to you, Jonathan, or what it means to Parmesh. And um, I think that because most people are facing um, some type of change uh, in the work environment, some are going to the office, some are going to the warehouse or the factory or the terminal or wherever they work. And so it's maybe a little bit similar to what they had before. But for those that have had a, a fundamental change in how they work, I think they have empathy for others. And so we're in this period now where there's a lot of acceptance and people are willing to have flexibility. I think at some point, if this extends to six more months, to a year, more, um, there's going to be norms that are established where people then feel comfortable working within them. But ultimately, the thing that I can't emphasize enough is to offer flexibility but also set expectations around what you want from your team, from the, you know, from your employees, or even upwards to those that you report to. And if you have that level of communication, you can work out something that um, still allows you to, you know, fulfill your job duties, but also juggle and manage everything else that you have going on in your life right now. I'm just curious, I guess, for both of you without, without getting too personal, what is in your worlds right now, um, unplugging mean for you guys? Or what does that flexibility, you know, in light of the fact that it's kind of in the eye of the beholder at this stage, on a personal note, what does it mean for you guys? Uh, I'll start. And there is a couple of things that I do. I mean, I think this happened a couple of days ago. Jonathan, when it was a long day, I was sitting in front of my computer the whole day and I just got tired of just looking at the screen in front of me. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things that I, I basically did was I told my team, I'm unplugging, I'm taking my dog for a walk, I'm going to be gone for 30 minutes, get some fresh air and come back. And I think the team was very understanding. Uh, one of my other colleagues last week when I was there, he basically said, I need a break, I need about an hour, I'm going to just chill out a little bit and come back. So 
I think uh, for me personally, when I need that flexibility, especially if you started at 7, 7.30 in the morning and this is going on, uh, we all understand, you know, it's, it's a hard time. So giving people some flexibility is important. And I am very transparent in telling the team that, listen, I need a break for 30 minutes for whatever reason it is, and I'll be back. I will be out of pocket and people are very understanding. So for me, that's, that's what it has mean. And I uh, means me being able to be flexible to others needs also, uh, it's helping out each other and, and uh, making, making, uh, making the best of the situation is what I, what I feel has helped me a lot. Yeah, another thing is sort of a, just kind of a simple practical thing for, for many, many years, I've sort of lived by my, uh, my calendar you know, within, you know, for me, it was Outlook, my Outlook calendar. <clears throat> and I found myself scheduling personal time at specific times. So as an example, 9 a.m., the, the school day starts in my household. I have two children in elementary school, and they start at nine, and they have to be on broadband, and they're on, um, you know, some type of streaming, um, you know, live video uh, classroom setting. And so that has to be set up. Prior to that, there's some wrangling and some other activities that need to happen, technology setups and things like that. So I, I book that time on my calendar. So someone who has access to my calendar to schedule a meeting with me knows that it's booked. Same thing with booking lunch. I book lunch. <laughs> it's just simple as that. I wasn't doing it before and it became a challenge. Now I've got to prepare and help, uh, you know, get two kids fed and myself. And so I book it. It's as simple as that, and it made a huge difference. But that's not something I even would fathom, you know, a year ago. You know, booking time for that, um, you know, kind of personal stuff. Um, and now, by doing so, I have a little bit more flexibility to accept times at different times. I'm also willing to kind of, uh, you know, work at at different times. It could be earlier in the morning or later in the evening um, to to match up with the the availability of those I need to connect with. It's interesting. I think for me, it's likely managing, uh, you know, just a, a one-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old and, and the whole schooling process, which is increasingly chaotic these days. And that really does lead us to another issue facing many employers, which is how they can expect their, particularly, you know, employees who have young children at this point who are not self-sufficient, uh, manage the school schedule. They're increasingly now more responsible for for not only just basic childcare, but also in some cases the actual education of their their children. And so, what I'm wondering is what am, what are employers doing to help their employees grapple with that? Are they actually dedicating financial resources to it, or is it just more of the sort of conventional, you know, like you just mentioned, understanding that you know uh, parents and their obligations are 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 not really ceasing during this time. And if given the choice between uh, having your child learn or not, and making that extra, you know, making that extra call, most parents are going to choose the former. What are you guys seeing there? I think it's a little bit of all of the above. And, and the one thing that um, came out of our, our conversation with our, our head um, you know, people officer, uh, earlier this week was geography matters. You know, Alex Partners has an office in Shanghai, it's somewhat back to normal. People go to the office every day and have normal hours. Uh, in most of our US cities, our offices are basically closed. That's fundamentally different. Same company, same work, 
different geographies. And on a local level, I think that more local level, you know, let's say within uh, North America, or even just within the United States, because there's, you know, I think different phenomena in Canada and, and, and Mexico as well. But it, it really depends on what the local situation is. Um, I don't think that we can say that there are tactics um, with a straight face, that there are tactics that can be employed that minimize or eliminate the added stress. That's just, it's something we all have to accept. There's added stress with this current uh, setup. Um, however, there are things you can do, whether it's financial incentives, a financial incentive could be more paid time off that you can use on a more flexible basis, which isn't full eight hour days at a time, which is in increments of 30 minutes or an hour or what have you. Um, and, you know, other things that uh, could help uh, with flex time, whether it maybe is, you know, uh, longer hours for four days a week and, you know, one day is, uh, you know, an off day. You know, there, there are plenty of companies that do that for summer schedules anyway. These are things that, that we're seeing from, from ourselves and from clients that are helping to ease the burden, but, but the burden still is greater than, than it was before. I think um, just to give a specific example, um, as a firm, Alex Partners has given uh, people extra time off or people can take extra time off if needed in, in this kind of COVID, COVID time um, for you know, helping out an elderly parent or helping your kids with something. So you know, it, it is something for the people to leverage slash look up to, to, you know, so that takes the burden off of the employees trying to make it a little bit flexible. I am sure um, our, some of our other clients are also offering people those kind of opportunities to, to, make it, uh, to make it a little bit more flexible for them from a work environment perspective. You're, you're both senior people at, at Alex Partners, and so I would imagine you have a whole slew of analysts reporting to you, and, and I, 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 don't think it, I don't think this will be a controversial statement that within the private equity industry and finance in general, there, things tend to roll downhill to the, to the younger analysts. And I'm wondering, you know, to, to what extent do you feel that that burden is made additionally more problematic for them in light of the fact that it, it's generally perceived that these folks have, you know, no, they're, they're single, they don't really have family responsibilities. And I'm wondering, do you think that the actual burden on the youngest employees has been made worse? And also in some cases, many of these people are just starting their careers and they're learning in a pretty crazy environment. How are employers managing their, I'd say their, their, their youngest employees and in some cases their newest employees? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a very good question, Jonathan. I'll answer it in a way that sort of applies to a variety of different types of professional services firms. Uh, Alex Partners is a little bit differentiated that we have a, a more senior model, a more flat organization that's not a traditional pyramid where the largest number of employees have the least number of years of experience. It's kind of the opposite, but we still do have analysts and we still do have junior employees. One of the things that is a practical matter 
we have offices in very large cities, in large cities where um, rents are, are high. And so too many people have roommates and roommates want to share broadband or they want to share space or, you know, have, have quiet to do their, their work and they've got multiple people. So one of the things that we've tried to do is um, set up a scheduling system to allow those that want to get to the office to have a quieter, more professional setting to work. And that actually is something that um, we found applies more to our junior staff than our more senior staff that maybe uh, live in residences that have um, an extra room that you can you know, go in and, and convert to an office. Um, the biggest challenge that we're facing right now that I think more applies to the junior staff isn't travel, uh, isn't necessarily workload. It's really the interpersonal experiences learning from someone more senior than yourself, you know, kind of think of an apprentice model. It's one thing to study something from a tutorial video. It's another thing to, to read an instruction manual or some kind of training document. Learning hands-on with someone that's done it for 10, 15, 20 more years than you is an extremely valuable and effective way of training people. And that aspect of our business has been hampered because it's just not the same working over video than sitting in a, in a team room or, you know, prepping at a coffee shop before, you know, you have a big meeting or something to that effect. Um, th that aspect of it, that hands-on learning and training and just interaction with someone that you can emulate, um, you know, that, that's kind of been there, done that, the, the more junior uh, staff um, are missing out on that experience right now. We, we still had an intern program, you know, it was remote. We still have MBA hires, they're working remote. It's just not as easy as if they could be paired up with someone more senior to learn from them. Yeah, actually just to add to what Mark said, Jonathan, the number one thing when we talked to our uh, chief uh, people officer was the people that they care about the most are the junior folks uh, because, you know, just out of college, not, not having too much experience. How do they manage that? How are they interacting with the clients? Uh, what kind of a situation are they in? Are they staying with the roommate or not? All those things are on top of mind for, for us. Which, honestly, I had not even thought about that uh, just because um, we are such a senior model firm like Mark mentioned, but it is something that is on top of mind for our chief people officer and they are trying to look at number of ways to get in touch with the people and help them. I don't know all the different initiatives or different things that we are working with those folks on, but that is on top of mind for at least our firm. Uh, we have some junior analysts, like uh, like Mark mentioned, we we don't have a ton of them, but it is uh, it is a it is a deep concern. I should not say concern, but it is a it is one point that the we are think, as a firm are thinking about as to how to keep them engaged and make sure that they they are they are slowly smoothly moving into the work environment with us. And so, when you think about, well, I would say mentorship, but also just team building and culture generally. At some point, uh, COVID will end. I don't know what getting back to the new normal precisely means, but do you see companies investing more 
in culture and offsite events and team building exercises, perhaps more than they used to. And what, I guess, what would, how would you measure the ROI on investments like that going forward? Do you, or do you think that it's just now becomes a, a staple of the budget in order to insulate yourself from times where you may be sort of impacted adversely or your culture may be impacted adversely? I think your measurement um, for those areas would be similar to how you do it today, right? So you, you measure um, employee morale through, you know, feedback loops, whether they're surveys, whether they're one-on-ones, whether it's through a, you know, quarterly, semi-annual or annual kind of performance review process. Um, you obviously can measure it through uh, financial performance and other types of performance metrics. I think the big difference here, and I think, you know, companies that are going to be more successful in this versus less are going to move away a little bit from sort of the structured, um, more organized uh, ways of engagement, setting up the annual meeting where people all get together and, you know, meet each other in person. Uh, Unfortunately, we cannot do that. So we have to adjust. I think what you're going to find is that Um, What will work the best is setting greater expectations on senior and mid-level managers for more engagement with those that they work with, more proactive engagement where, you know, this is maybe an activity that would be deprioritized in the past. It has to be um, pushed up the scale a little bit where you schedule a meeting with a core group of people to talk about these topics. You set up one-on-ones and invest the time to individually speak to, as an example, 10 or 12 people about what's going on with their lives and what you can, you know, change or what, you know, what kind of flexibility you can offer to support them. Um, And if you don't do that, I think there's going to be a lot of people that sort of suffer in silence and then you deal with the repercussions of that months, you know, year later, and it's, it's hard to kind of undo. And, and maybe that means they've, you know, looked for another job or they've, in, in some cases, just checked out and you see that, um, you know, come through in, in their performance metrics. I, I think without making any commentary on today's political situation, it's also safe to say that trust in institutions generally has been eroded. And I'm wondering, and you both mentioned, you know, the need to constantly and consistently communicate with employees. I'm wondering how you're seeing in your client engagements, trust in, in, in the employer and senior management, um, either strengthening during these times or eroding the, during these times. And also, I, I think, are, see, are executives comfortable saying in many cases that they don't really know what's what's going on or what the best necessarily what the best course of action to do is i think that people typically value the confident ceo um but at the same time i don't necessarily believe it's credible for certain ceos to have a crystal ball and so what i'm wondering is are you seeing um are you seeing executives actually making the claims that yes we don't know how this is going to unfold but we know that we're structurally resilient enough to tackle it? What kind of messaging are employees receiving in order to help build and foster more trust? 
I think, uh, I think um, you know, at least in some of the clients that I have recently worked, uh, people are realizing that this is a very dynamic environment. And, you know, the clients that I have talked to at the C-suite level, there is, they say there's a lot of uncertainty at this point of time. When is this going to end? Nobody knows. Looks like we are in this for the long haul. Um, the CEO's message in general is we just have to work through this and look after each other and manage the situation that we are in. We don't know, as you said, we don't have a crystal ball, but we just have to fight it out. Um, we have a good system in place. We have good metrics in place. We have good capable people in place. We just have to figure it out uh, because in general, what I've heard from a number of the CEOs is this is not going to end anytime soon, this period of uncertainty. So we just have to be focused uh, on the task at hand. We just have to be together, work together as a team and make sure we get the best results out of this. Those are some of the, in, in general, that's what I'm hearing from the client senior executives that I have worked with. Mark, I don't know if you are hearing anything different. Yeah, I, I, you know, what, another question that you had asked Jonathan was sort of about the engagement with clients. And I, I think it's um, a little bit of a mixed bag. Personally, for me, my engagement has actually been more intimate and, and actually more personal because of the way we're all working. We're sharing more details around ourselves and actually finding more common ground with information that, I don't know, I, I think historically you would say is a little bit more private where you're caring for an elderly family member and you have to deliver food to them. And that is something that is um, you know, part of your schedule for the week. Clients share that with us. I think historically they would have kept that to themselves. So there's a little bit more of a bond that's being created and a level of trust that's being generated through that um, you know, type of, of interaction conversation. However, the you know, in-person pop-in meetings in an office, walking with someone to go get a cup of coffee, other types of just normal human behavior that we can't do, obviously we're, we're missing out on. So I think there's sort of a, a level of, of trust and connection that's being built um, that this current environment is helping with. The other thing I would highlight, and you know, this kind of goes with any level of uncertainty, uh, or a high level of uncertainty, situations with uncertainty, you have to be willing to change course, change course quickly as new information comes in. So if you think about a company that has a five-year strategic plan, you may have to change course quickly as you know things develop. I recently read an article about a, a retailer that um, you know I, obviously there was signs that they should be investing in in a greater e-commerce presence, and you know those investments years ago paid off now because they could very quickly pivot um, to having a much higher percentage of e-commerce sales than than through their physical stores. Being willing to make that call and be challenged at that point in time and letting a couple weeks, couple months run and, and see what the, you know, the, the metrics look like, being willing to stay the course or to, uh, you know, to course correct and, and change quickly or probably faster than you have in the past 
is essential. And I, I agree with you 100% that just coming out there and, and proclaiming that you have confidence and you have the answer and we're going to stick with, you know, whatever was working before, I, I think that is, um, I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think you've got to, unfortunately, you're not living quarter to quarter. You may be kind of living month to month or operating month to month now and need to um, revisit how things are working and, and make adjustments a lot faster than you typically would. It's interesting you talk about changing course. We had, I believe it was on our first podcast, Susan Copperman, who is the CEO of Sunless Inc., a Castle Harlan portfolio company. We talked about cultivating a survival instinct. And I think the corollary of that at this, at this juncture, at least, is cultivating more of a growth mindset. And I'm wondering also, when you're speaking with your clients, how... I guess revealing of an episode has this been for them in terms of talent where they're able to say, yes, as this thing progresses, you know, the talent that we have on our bench isn't necessarily the right talent anymore. How are they saying, you know, there are some people who really rose to the occasion here who I didn't think were capable of the type of work that they're producing. How are they, I guess, either being pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised in this environment? I have a real-time example that um, I'm going through right now, Jonathan. I have a client, we are working with them, and the issue is they're in their peak season, so we are helping them with the supply chain. And they are having daily meetings to talk about, this is what is supply coming, what is demand looking like, what is the supply, and how are we going to change our production needs for the, for, for the coming days or weeks? Interestingly, the client said, if you listen to the meetings, there is only three or four people talking in each and every one of these meetings. And my team is 75 plus people. What are those other 70 people doing? What is it that, do I need all these people? Uh, you know, and he, his point of view is that he just took over this job recently. So that's a little bit of a, a background. He just took over this job recently and he's finding the same four or five people are contributing every time. The question that he is asking us as we are walking through this with him is, do I have the right people with the right skill set? Are, am I too heavy in my team? He is asking a lot of very critical questions that, you know, probably because now we are all linked up and tied together, that would not have been the case. I'm assuming if you're all in an office in an, in an environment where you don't have these kind of daily touch points um, and, and discussions. So I think that is, this is an example of a client who is now thinking about, do I have the right team and the right skill set? Right. Um, so it's interesting that you, you pose that question because I, at least giving you a real world example of a client, I'm sure a number of those clients in, 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 in their own groups are thinking, do I have the right team? Do I need to bring in somebody else? What type of skill sets do I need uh, to manage in this kind of an environment? I think those kind of things are definitely bubbling up in my opinion across a number of clients. <clears throat> I'm curious to get 
another sense, I, I, I would say here, even at Industrial Exchange, one of the things we've come to value more than anything is communication and the ability to communicate across different mediums, whether it's email, Zoom, Slack, what, what have you. I'm wondering for a, you know, for a practice group like Alex, granted, I would imagine, you know, you're in the business of being effective communicators, but uh, to what extent beyond the spreadsheet skills and the financial modeling skills, does it expose certain deficiencies in just raw communicating talent? And do you think that there will be a commensurate level of training on that front as well during this time and, af and, and after this period concludes? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I had a, a past client that uh, from about a year ago reached out and um, this was early on, we'll, we'll call it, you know, early spring of 2020 and reach out and say, hey, you know, we have some concerns about, um, you know, our, our working capital and, um, you know, want to talk to you about it. And, and through the conversation, a question came out, when's the best time to put in place a 13 week cash flow model? And my answer may sound a little flip, but it, it's, it's correct, which is, well, it's certainly before you really need it. Because when you're running out of cash, that's not the time to start modeling what it looks like in the next couple of weeks. You should be doing this in advance. It's sort of an early warning model to get in front of something. And so, you know, that's a, a, a very straightforward kind of simple example. I think that, you know, what this... Um, the situation with COVID and the impact to different supply chains, potentially very differently, depending on where they're coming from, the impact to uh, availability of workforce, all that kind of stuff that can materially impact your business. Uh, laws about whether you can even run your business or not, that kind of stuff. Um, I think people are going to value having better, more accurate information that they can use to you know, be more forward-looking and to try to get in front of things before they become an immediate crisis. I feel like you know, what we've been doing more so than not over the last several months has been crisis management in dealing with immediate urgent problems that are you know, impacting us right now, not necessarily trying to get in front of problems that we believe could you know, be facing the company. And so that's more than communication but it's having information that's compelling and then communicating it to get people to change their behavior, not being reactive once it's right in front of their face and they don't have a choice but to deal with it. I think that's gonna become more important. And, and the resilient you, supply chain concept is something people are talking about more so now than low cost supply chain. Well, and, and, and so even just beyond the, I would say the, the need to communicate seamlessly the actual skills of communicating, whether they're they're verbal or written, do you see do you see a renewed emphasis on companies either training their people how to communicate effectively or screening for people who can communicate effectively? I think that you know the, the, the sort of the typical yeah. dangers of communicating over email or things being taken out of context are like really more rife. Now, now, now more so than ever, do you, yeah. how do you screen for that in a way in which maybe you didn't do that before? Um, 
we within our firm we have uh, there is a training now for effective communications with client in in this virtual world um, you know i'll give you one example when do you go on the video um, you know with the client when do you not go on a video with the client how do you react or how do you project yourself um, on the on a on a video those kind of things are some tidbits have been uh, provided to us if i may say and i think it is valuable because as you can imagine and i said before we don't know when this is going to come uh, to an end this is going to be at least in the near term um, three six nine months whatever time it is uh, a way of doing business and so we just have to learn to work in this environment and learn to manage our communications effectively so uh, at least for us we are we have been given some uh, at least thought starters to think about how should we communicate with clients in this um, environment um, whether it is video phone etc and i'm sure there is a number of other firms that are doing the same thing well I think that even though you can't see my face right now, I have a smile on my face because it's near time for my 10 a.m. coffee. And I wanted to thank you guys for a wonderful podcast again. And I'm looking forward to, to speaking you, with you again soon. Yeah, thank you. Been, uh, our pleasure. And Jonathan, thank you uh, for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys.